0: Thanks, Helen. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Great to see you. Welcome to Trinity Church. It's good to have you with us. And if you're joining us for the first time or perhaps joining us online for the first time, uh, welcome. It's uh, it's fun to see you. Uh, I'm particularly glad that we have uh, Neil with us this morning. If you haven't already... Make a determination in your heart right now that after this, you go and hang out with this man. Go and and say hi to him. Go and hear some of his stories. You know, some of you know this, but uh, way back in 2010, 2011, which for some of us feels like ancient history, some of you perhaps weren't even born then, Um, Scottsdale Bible Church was praying for this church. They had a vision to identify train and send church planters to plant churches in a whole variety of places, but one of those places they had a real heart for was Western Europe, a place where they had seen the church decline in many ways over the years, and this church in Phoenix, Arizona, in Scottsdale, Arizona, I should say, not that you guys care about that that difference, uh, they were praying. They didn't know they were praying for this specific church, but they were praying for us, and so Neil, I hope it's a real encouragement uh, to you today to see the some of the fruit of those prayers. God answers the prayers of His people, and we, in a small way, are evidence for that today. Which is why, when Neil and the other guys who were with us on Friday asked me, "What do you what do you need from us?" I said, "We need your prayers, because." Who is the one who provides for all our needs? Is it not the God who has all things and provides for his people? Which is why we need to be praying to him. And don't worry, I did give him a large, large dollar amount as well. So um, that, was, uh, that was after I said the, the spiritual thing. Anyway, um, Neil, thanks for sharing with us this morning. We're, we're grateful uh, to have you with us. And, and we are continuing our time in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Uh, as we look... At simply Jesus. He is the most famous man to have ever lived. Almost everyone you know will have heard of him. And yet, so many have no real idea about who he actually is. There are so many different opinions on Jesus the good moral teacher, the political leader, the Muslim prophet, the misguided loser everyone has an opinion of Jesus but what we're trying to do over the next couple of months with our bibles open is to say who is Jesus simply Jesus we're seeking to know him better or perhaps we're seeking to know him for the first time and so we're we're opening mark's gospel Uh, to help us to do that. This is likely the earliest eyewitness account that we have of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so as we come to Mark chapter five now, that passage Helen read for us a moment ago, let me pray for us and ask God to help us in our time that we would hear him speak to us. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you uh, that you love us. And one evidence of that is that you have written this book to us to speak to us of who you are and what you've done for us in the person and the work of Jesus. And so now, Lord God, as we as we open it, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come and accompany the preaching of the gospel with power so that we would know today, each of us, that we have met with not just one another, but we have met with the living God. And I pray that you would do these things for your glory in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I guess many of us this morning will have been aware this week and following with the story of a lady called Deborah James, or I should say now Dame Deborah James. Uh, She's known to many as Bowel Babe, uh, and she is uh, one of the hosts of a BBC podcast, You, Me, and the Big C. It's a a podcast which talks about what it's like to live with cancer. And uh, This week, aged just 40, Deborah James, mother of two young kids, uh, wrote on her Instagram that she is now receiving end-of-life care, having exhausted all possible treatment options. And in interviews, she has spoken really eloquently this week of the real shock and the sadness that she feels about coming to the end of her life, despite the fact that she's known for five, six years or more that she's uh, living with bowel cancer, um, and she also spoke about her hope that others would not have to endure the same fate as a result of some of her fundraising efforts. And as of this morning, she, um, her, the Bow Babe Fund has raised over £6 million to fund Cancer Research UK. And in her Instagram post last Monday, uh, she opened with these words, The message I never wanted to write. We have tried everything, but my body simply isn't playing ball. My active care has stopped, and I am now moved to hospice care. The message I never wanted to write. One of the reasons Deborah James' story has moved so many is that she has such an infectious zest for life. She has dealt with adversity with such courage and good humor and transparency. She's invited people into her story, and so many people have resonated with her experience. But in the end, cancer is going to win. And it's the message that she never wanted to write. And we all live with that fear, don't we? We all live with the fear that one day, the message that we never wanted to write or the message that we never wanted to hear will come. That moment of absolute desperation, The point where hope is lost. And we have such a message in our passage today, don't we? 2,000 years ago, Jairus, the synagogue leader, he's referred to that three times in our passage today. He is a man who is respected in the community. He's a religious leader. He would have been a good neighbor, the kind of guy who would take your bins out for you. You would have liked Jairus. He's wealthy, He's a good man. He has it all together. But in verse 35, none of that matters anymore. His world falls apart with the message that he never wanted to hear. Four words. Your daughter is dead. Some of you are fathers to daughters here today. Some of you are mothers to sons. Imagine the agony that those words contain. Of course, I know as well, some of you don't have to imagine that. You know what it is like to receive that message. You have lost kids. You you know the unimaginable pain of that moment. We all live fearing the message that we never want to write, that we never want to hear. It can come in many different forms, but this one is surely one of the most devastating. What do you do in that moment? When life falls apart, where can we go? When hope is gone, when time has run out? You know, for many people, and I'm sure you know people like this, for many people, the answer is nowhere there is nowhere else to go. This is it. This is the end of the road. When death devastates life, when chaos comes into our lived experience, so many of us don't know where to go next. And if we do go somewhere, it's often a place that wreaks further devastation and dysfunction in our lives. We medicate our lives with dysfunction, which soothes the pain to some degree, but only ends up multiplying chaos further down the line. Perhaps that's you today. If it is, we are so glad you're with us. Thank you so much for joining us. But the Bible gives a different answer to that question, where do we go? A better answer to each of us today. It invites each of us, Mark's gospel, God himself invites each of us through the words we read here today to experience a better answer. When life falls apart, when we are desperate, where do we go? We go to Jesus. That's where hope is found. We go to Jesus. That's what we see in Mark 5 today in the story of Jairus and in the story of this unnamed woman. You see, in many ways, they have nothing in common. He's a man. She's a woman. That was a big difference, a significant difference back in the first century in that culture. He is named in the story. She is not. He's a synagogue leader. She is a social and uh, religious outcast. He's wealthy. He has employees and servants. She is utterly impoverished. She has spent her last penny. And yet they are united by one thing. In their desperation, they go to Jesus. We know, don't we, that if your child is dying, there is only one thing that would cause you to leave their bedside in that moment. Jairus' words in verse 23, My little daughter is dying. There is the implication there of immediacy. She is taking her last breath. No father would leave his daughter's side, except for one thing, hope. Jairus believes that in God's kindness, the one person who might actually be able to make a difference has just got off the boat and is walking up the street into town. And so he goes to Jesus and falls on his knees and says, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. He goes to Jesus. Now we see exactly the same thing with the woman. In verse 25, we see that she has been suffering with bleeding, presumably some kind of gynecological issue. If you don't know how to say that word, go and see Ryan afterwards. He's a doctor. He'll tell you. In verse 26, no one can help her. She spent all she had on medical care. And yet, despite all of the doctor's attention, all it's done is bring more suffering into her life. She had suffered under the care of many doctors. And is it helping? No. She is not getting better. She is getting worse. Interestingly, just note with me for a moment, how long has she been suffering? 12 years. Now, that is the same age, verse 42, as Jairus' daughter, 12 years. We'll come back to why that is significant in a moment. But for now, just note with me, similarly to Jairus, uh, in verse 27, she hears Jesus in town and she thinks to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Same phrase. In her desperation, she goes to Jesus in faith, in hope, in expectation, that here is the one man who can do something about the crisis, the chaos that she is living in. Now, we know what that is like, don't we? How many times in crisis have we offered up a last-ditch prayer? As we're walking into the doctor's office to get the news of the test results, or as we're about to open the email to see whether we got the job, or as we're waiting for the results of the Eurovision Song Contest to come in last night. By the way, how well did we do? if, If you don't believe in miracles this morning, we finished second, and Europe hates us. So there you go, Richard Dawkins. You see, that's what desperation does. In those moments, we go to Jesus. There's a kind of faith that says, well, let's just see. Let's take a swing and hope. But here's the thing. God wants a deeper faith for us than that. A faith that is rooted not in a specific answer, but in a specific person, in the person of Jesus. And that is why I think this story works out the way that it does. Because when Jairus falls on his knees out of desperation, he doesn't know that in just a few minutes, things are not going to get better. They're going to get immeasurably worse. His desperation is going to turn into despair. And his friends are going to put an arm around him as he slumps to the ground and say, why bother the teacher anymore? He can't help you now. You tried. You took a shot. In your desperation, you went to Jesus. We understand it. He's some kind of magician. Maybe he could have helped you out, but it didn't work. It's too late. It's time to go home and grieve. And Jesus cuts across them. The NIV uh, translates it. He says, overhearing what they said. That could just as easily be translated, ignoring what they said. Jesus cuts across them and he tells him, don't be afraid, just believe. Just have faith. You see, friends, God doesn't want us to have a faith where we simply go to Jesus, but a faith where we stick with Jesus even when things get worse. And what will keep us sticking with Jesus in those moments is if we are able to see who he is, his character, his nature, his love, his power, which is why in his kindness, because he loves Jairus, the man who takes a swing and goes to Jesus in desperation, because he loves him, God brings this woman onto the scene. Because for this woman, he's not simply doing a profound work of grace in her life, but he is also teaching Jairus in this moment, stick with me. It's going to get worse, Jairus, but stick with me. The faith that you placed in me will not disappoint you. You know, Mark often weaves stories together in the Gospel of Mark. And he does that because he interprets one story with another story. And I was trying to think this week, what is going on here? Why are these two stories interconnected? We could have just had the story about Jairus. Mark, for sure, leaves out plenty of healings, plenty of different things that Jesus did. Why did he incorporate the, the fact that Jesus stopped and and spoke to this woman in the middle of this story. In fact, why does Jesus not say to this woman who reached out to him, hang on a minute. I mean, he's he's God after all. He knows all things. Hang on a minute. You've been struggling for 12 years. I'm in a bit of a rush. I need to go and see a girl who's dying. I'll come back to you in five minutes. Why does he not do that? He could have done. That's probably what we would have done, right? No, the reason it works out this way is because... This woman is a living parable for Jairus. She sings of hope to his situation. Look at it with me. If you have your Bibles, uh, just look down at the text. Jairus, although he doesn't know it yet, has just lost his daughter, who is 12 years old, to death. And what happens a woman approaches Jesus who for the last 12 years has carried in her body a symbol of death, bleeding that under the law of the day made her an outcast from the community. She was ceremonially unclean. She is a picture of the consequences of sin. There's no suggestion in her life or in yours either that what is going on is a specific response to a specific sin that she has committed. But she is a picture to the community of what happens when we all collectively walk away from God. We're cut off from him. When we sin, we're cut off from him, we're cut off from his people, we're cut off from his blessing. We carry in ourselves a sign of death. That was what uh, uh, this symbolically represented, what was going on in her body. Now, in faith and desperation, this, this woman who's been carrying the symbol of death for 12 years reaches out to Jesus and three things happen. First, he heals her. Immediately, her bleeding is stopped. She experiences, if you like, a kind of resurrection in her body. Her life is restored. That's the first thing Jesus does. The second thing is he searches her out. She is lost. She is hidden amongst the crowd, but Jesus will not stop until he has brought her to himself he pauses like like helen mentioned he stops he says power's gone out from me who was that you see jesus doesn't just want an impersonal power transaction with you today he wants you he wants to know who you are he wants to have a relationship with you that is how he works in our lives jesus heals her he searches for her and then thirdly he calls her daughter Verse 34, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, two things are going on there. First, he's recognizing her as family, and that is beautiful. This is a woman who no one has owned, no one has welcomed, no one has acknowledged for the past 12 years. She has been on the outside looking in, and the first thing Jesus says to her when she gets on her knees trembling, she's like, oh, no, I've, I've screwed up here. I've overstepped my bounds I've taken liberties. I've reached out and touched this man who has so much power that he's healed me even with the touch of his clothes. I'm in huge trouble. And what does Jesus say to her? Daughter, your faith has healed you. That is mercy. That is grace. That is how he responds to us when we go to him. That's the first thing that's going on there. But the second thing, surely that Jesus is doing as he says to this woman, daughter, your faith has healed you, is he is speaking not just to her, but to the man standing right next to her who is about to hear the words, your daughter is dead. And in that moment, Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. See what I have just done. I am the one who heals the dead. I am the one who searches for the lost. I am the one who has just rescued a daughter. This is who I am. So stick with me. Don't be afraid. Just believe. You know, many of us, I think, find this really, really hard to stick with Jesus when things go from bad. To worse i've told some of you the story before when i was actually um in arizona during my time on staff with neil one of my friends who was i was at seminary with his daughter one years old had an accident she was on a, in intensive care in hospital for two to three months and we prayed and we pleaded and the doctors did everything and she died And in that moment, you wonder, how can anyone's faith endure that? How can anyone possibly stick with Jesus when desperation gives way to despair? It was an open casket funeral. It's the smallest casket I have ever seen. There was a palpable sense of tragedy in that room. And, you know, I think it's impossible if we fix our eyes on the grave to stick with Jesus because we are overwhelmed by a sense of chaos and sorrow and grief. But if we look at Jesus, then we find a faith that endures through it all. For we worship a God We follow a king. We are served by a savior who heals the hopeless, who rescues the lost cause, who raises the dead from their bed and brings them back to life. That is who he is. That is the promise that all of us who go in faith to Jesus and stick with Jesus receive. That one day we will rise with Jesus. The beauty of the good news of the Bible is that not even death can stop Jesus Christ. Somehow, in his despair, Jairus manages to fix his eyes on Jesus and he goes with him to his house. And while everyone else laughs at Jesus, Jairus follows him inside and watches as the Lord took that little girl's hand... And brings her back to life. Now just think about that for me for a moment. This is not fiction. It's history. This is what Jesus did for that little girl that day. And for those astonished parents that day. Do you know, Jairus is referred to as the synagogue leader, throughout the entire, like repeatedly, the synagogue leader, throughout the entire passage. But when he gets into that room with the lifeless body of his child and Jesus, he's just a dad. The girl's mother and father, that's how he's referred to. He's no longer a synagogue leader there. Reputation, whatever else he is, doesn't matter in that moment. He's just a dad who is desperate, for a saviour like Jesus to bring his daughter back to life. Friends, this is simply Jesus. He is the life giver to all who stick with him in faith, even in these moments of abject despair. And what I would say to each of us this morning is, whatever pain, whatever brokenness, whatever despair is going on in our lives or comes in our lives. If we stick with Jesus, then we will rise with him. Because, of course, the raising of this little girl was actually a small thing in comparison to what was to come. When Jesus Christ took on himself the sins of all who would trust in him at the cross, paid the penalty for those sins by his own death, and then three days later, took his life back up again and walked out of his own tomb. Of course, we know, don't we, as the story of my friend in Arizona tells us, that we don't always receive these things in the way that we would like and on the timeline that we wish would happen. There are plenty of Christians whose eyes have closed in death and been laid in the ground. But they closed their eyes in hope. They stuck with Jesus because, for example, let me just read one verse for you from the, from the New Testament. First Thessalonians 4, 16 looks to the future and says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. That is the ultimate hope that the gospel holds out to us today. This is why we stick with Jesus, because in the end, those of us who believe in him will rise. He will not renege on that promise. He will not forget us. Those of us who go to Jesus, those of us who stick with Jesus, will indeed rise with Jesus. And what that tells each of us is that whether... Uh, is, that, is that even if death will not stop Jesus for searching for us and welcoming us and healing us, if that will not stop Jesus, then whatever, we, whatever else we are experiencing in our lives, nothing can keep you from it. You know, I was reflecting this morning. We are in a sweet season of church right now. We're about a year in. We're growing In a couple of weeks' time, we'll be welcoming a whole bunch of new members into membership here at Trinity Church, many of you. Even the fact that there's a whole bunch of people away today, and we still have way more people than we planted with 12 months ago, is a sign to us that we continue uh, to grow, and God is blessing the ministry here. There's a palpable sense of joy and unity when we gather together. And those things are wonderful. And it's one of the reasons why we love going to Jesus each week. But I think one of the questions, one of the challenges that comes to us from this passage is will we stick with Jesus when things inevitably get harder? They will at some point. If they're not already, maybe for you, the things that are going on in your life are getting harder. We know, don't we? Sometimes it is hard to follow Jesus. There is a cost that is involved. And the question is, will we stick with Jesus when the prayers that we pray seem not to be answered in the ways that we would want, and when things get difficult, when we receive the message that we never wanted to write, that we never wanted to hear. In those moments, we need to hear another message, the message of this book, the message of... Of the gospel, that there is indeed a Savior who loves us, who is for us, who searches for us, and will give life to the dead. So, Trinity Church, go to Jesus, stick with Jesus. We will rise with Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and you're far from Him, and you've got absolutely no idea what that would even look like in your life, But maybe you know you need it. Maybe like Jairus, you've got nowhere else to go. Well, come talk to us about that afterwards. We'd love to just chat with you about what coming to Jesus, going to Jesus looks like for you. And we'd love to pray with you and help you come to know him for yourself for the first time. Let me pray for us and then we'll come uh, and sing together. Father, we thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. We thank you that He is such a Savior, that He is full of mercy and power, that He does not turn away sinners who come to Him in desperation, but He welcomes us as sons and daughters. And we know, Lord, that one day, each of us, if we trust in him, will rise. And I pray that we would live in light of that resurrection hope and experience in this, in this life too, more of the power and the work of the Spirit so that we would see healing, we would see acts of power, We would know tangibly you with us and at work in our lives. And we might be able to celebrate and point others to the kind of Savior whom we serve and follow. Jesus, we love you. And in your name we pray these things. Amen.